Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Paul Rickard, filling in for Peter Switzer. On tonight's show, we start off by looking at US inflation. That's the number that's out uh, tomorrow night. Certainly the biggest number to hit our market this week. Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial will be joining us. Also some ideas about lithium stock because that's also a part of the market that's been really strong. And then Adam Dawes from Shoreham Partners. We're going to look at the US dollar and the impact it's having on metal prices, particularly some of the tailwinds for so-called new age metals, things like copper, nickel, believe it or not, is back in favour, and lithium. Uh, and Adam shares his thoughts on his favourite lithium stock, IGO. And finally, Ron Shamgar from Tamman Asset Management. He just takes a quick look back at reporting season, some of the themes that emerge, but also three smaller cap growth companies he really likes. DGL, People In and SmartPay. That's the program for tonight. Let's start with Michael Wayne from Medallion Financial. Well, it's a big week in the US with uh, inflation for uh, August due out uh, tomorrow our time or Tuesday night our time. Joining me now to discuss, plus uh, share some insights about some growth stocks out of reporting season that look pretty interesting, is Michael Wayne, the Managing Director of Medallion Finance. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks, Paul. Good to be here. So big number on Tuesday night, about 10.30 p.m. our time. So the start of Tuesday trading in the US, uh, the August uh, CPI. Mm -hmm. What are you expecting and is this as is, is, is important for the market as I'm building it up to be? Look, I think it definitely is. The market's been pretty buoyant the last week or the back end of last week and started off strong today as well. Um, the inflation number coming out tomorrow in the US could really sort of make or break whether or not that rally continues. If we continue to see a moderation in that inflation mm -hmm. number, um, I think the market will view that as a positive. But likewise, if the number comes out stronger than expected, I think you can see the market reverse pretty quickly and potentially even go back and retest the lows uh, from a couple of months ago. So it will be definitely interesting to watch. The market has sort of pinned its hopes on the fact that inflation peaked last mm -hmm. month. Yep. And so if we see a continuation in the moderation of that in number, then I think the market will be pretty happy, but it's no guarantee. I think they're looking for uh, at least a fall in the headline rate um, because that's the impact of lower energy mm -hmm. prices and so forth. But the underlying rate might be a bit of an increase. Yes. So it's a bit of a funny one, but I guess it, as long as it's at or below expectations, you have yeah. to say the market should be happy. Is that That's right. I mean, the thing that we're watching pretty closely at the moment, which has been pretty stubborn contributor to inflation, has been rents, basically, mm -hmm. in the US. Um, rent has been going up a lot in the US, and we need to see that number start to come down. Because what tends to happen is as interest rates go up, um, landlords increase their, their rental yep. um, in order to try and cover those increased interest repayments. And then that puts up inflation because obviously renters are having to go out to their bosses and request higher wages in order to cover those rents. So we're seeing rents being pretty stubborn. And at the moment, when you're looking at the US, there are basically two available jobs for every person looking for work. So until you see those job availabilities come down or the unemployment rate pick up, yep. I think it's going to be pretty stubborn, uh, the inflation numbers, particularly at that core number that you're talking to. Okay, well, let's see what happens on Tuesday. Um, look, last week and I guess a little bit this week, lithium's on a tear again. Mm -hmm. um, we keep talking about lithium. Yeah. I think people remember that the price hasn't done a lot, but it actually the stocks in June are about half of what they are today. 
where do you sit on the lithium uh, hype curve at the moment? Is there more in this or is this a market just to be a little wary of and wait for the pullback? Yeah, we've had a little bit of exposure to lithium. There's a lot of talk about that longer term thematic. Um, in Europe, it's about seven or eight percent of new vehicles are electric vehicles. By the end of this decade, 2030, they're looking to get that up to about 70 percent of new vehicles being electric powered. So there's enormous amount of demand potentially coming. It's whether or not that supply can keep up with demand. Mm. Uh, there is a possibility, um, if you listen to Goldman Sachs's point of view, for instance, that the amount of supply coming online will be more than be enough to meet that demand. But then you speak to someone like Macquarie, who came out with a, a note probably three or four weeks ago now, they're talking about a lithium supply deficit. So depending on which side of the fence you're on, we'll, we'll sort of drive your view on lithium. At the moment, we're pretty, we like the long-term story, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but you can never rely on the long-term story to, to benefit all the participants. We've seen yeah. throughout history, a lot of good stories play out, but not everyone benefits from that. So you can't be as blind as, and as simple as that. Um, but we do think that it is one of those stories that seems to make a lot of sense. In Australia, we've got a, a couple or a lot of good quality lithium companies. At the moment, the lithium price is very high. It's, three or four times the price that they were getting last year. So as they bring on more and more production and the longer the prices stay high, they're gonna deliver some very good cash flow numbers. But I think you do have to be quite nimble with the lithium stocks. You can't mm -hmm. get too carried away because as we saw only a couple of years ago, the lithium price can come back very quickly and then the share prices can come back very quickly. So it feels very good at the moment. It's making um, your portfolio look a lot better probably than it would otherwise, but just be careful that the momentum can turn very quickly and there's a lot of positive sentiment at the moment. Now the two major producers are Allchem mm -hmm. and uh, Pilbara Minerals, a lot of budding producers, yes. a lot of, lot of developed people putting stuff into production. Got us, how, do, how do you feel about those two and, or is there someone else you would prefer? No, we prefer those two. They're the sort of large established players that are producing mm -hmm. now. So they're the businesses that are able to capitalise on today's high prices. The problem with a lot of the explorers is they might have a large resource but it might take them two, three, four years to develop yep. those resources and finally meet production. And by that stage, who knows what the price of lithium is going to be in three or four years' time. So our preference, we have, we have both uh, Pilbara and we have both mm -hmm. uh, um, Alkeem mm -hmm. as well. They're not huge weightings in portfolios because of the volatile nature, but again, we do like that long-term story. Um, Pilbara, PLS, um, is probably the pick of the bunch at the moment just because they have the greatest amount of production, which means they are capitalising the most at the moment. Um, whereas if you want a little bit more risk, something like um, Alkeem probably offers that because they do have a lot of projects coming yeah. online over the next yeah. couple of years, um, which could ramp up their production a lot. But with that comes a bit of risk. There's also the, um, the geographical risk as yeah. well. Pilbara is mainly WA based. Um, and it's going to throw up an enormous amount of cash, right? And be well, a huge dividend payer, right? Yeah, well, like you can never rely on these mining companies for dividends consistently, but at the moment, you can definitely expect um, to receive a lot of distributions and a lot of handouts because of the amount of free cash flow that they're spitting out. But, but the good thing about both AKE and PLS is that they're fully funded so that they can develop their other projects without having to keep going back to the market with dilutive capital raisings. So yeah. that's what we like as well about those established players. We just don't see the need to go up the risk curve for some of those explorers at the moment, just given how well those two seem to be doing. I should point out that the brokers have um, see a lot more value in, in uh, Allchem rather than PLS, but that's just the brokers. and. Uh, 
They're not always right, as we know. Absolutely so. <laughs> not. <laughs> okay, let's go back. Reporting season's finished. You liked a couple of companies. Let's talk about some growth companies. Mm -hmm. uh, what were the picks for you on the growth sort of spectrum of some of the companies? Yeah, so reporting season wasn't too bad um, across the board. Um, there were definitely certain businesses that performed better than others, but I think the outlook um, was a little bit negative, and that's the way the market yeah. interpreted that people were very cautious on, a lot of management teams were very cautious on providing yeah. outlook statements, but businesses that we thought did well in, and they're more growth in nature. So just be careful if the markets do take a turn for the worse, these will probably get, get hit. But from a long-term perspective, uh, we like the story playing out at Altium. Mm -hmm. uh, we thought they were one of the, the better reports for reporting season. A tech company got out of vogue a lot, got yes. a bit, but they've actually done rather well. well they've done, look, they've basically got a, a strategy in place to, they changed their software a little mm -hmm. bit. Um, that was taking some time to come through, but the evolution of that company is well and truly underway. They've got a lot more recurring revenue these yep. days. So that's a business that we continue to like, growing very strongly with a good trajectory mm -hmm. and outlook. Um, another business that reported very well, and which is a growth type business in the healthcare tech type space, is a company called Promedicus. Yep. Um, they're again on a very high valuation, but they've recently made the transition from being a loss maker to finally making profits paying their first dividends. So it's a company on that transition phase turning into a more mature mm -hmm. type business. Um, and then the final one we liked a lot was IDP Education. Um, they've recovered significantly now from the, 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 um, the effects of COVID and they're well and truly back on a growth path. So that's another one we like as a growth play on a long-term trajectory. Is the election of a, a Labor government, is that potentially a, a, a good thing for IDP education? I mean, these companies in this sort of sector tend to yeah. depend a little bit on government support or government initiatives. Is that a positive? Yeah, I, or? I think it's probably been a slight positive. We saw the other day the Labor government came out and said they're going to increase the immigration cap mm -hmm. to try and ease some of those pressures in some of the industries when it comes to finding workers. Uh, so IDP education provide English language testing um, across universities primarily, but also for other people yeah. coming into the country looking to work, need to have a certain level of English proficiency. So we think at the margin it's probably a slight positive, um, but we're also seeing globally a lot of people start to go back into universities, um, and not only in Australia, but back in the UK and in Canada. So you're getting a lot of people from India, for instance, looking to to come mm -hmm. to Western universities, and, and that's very supportive of IDP. Well, let's hope they can process yeah. the visas, right? I guess it's yeah. online. <laughs> well, that's the problem, isn't it? It's like the the visas and, and um, just getting people in is very difficult at the moment. Yeah. That was Michael Wayne, the Managing Director of Medallion Financial Services. Three growth ideas for your portfolio, ProMedicus, IDP Education, and Altium. Well, the market's had another strong rally today and it's as much a function of uh, the US dollar falling and the US share market taking off and we're following suit and also some particularly strong metal prices. Joining me now is Adam Dawes to talk about today's market. Adam, welcome to the program. Thank you, Paul. It's great to be here. So let's start with, uh, if I can, with just some of the metal stocks because uh, we've seen a big rally, particularly some of the copper stocks. Um, what's your thinking there in terms of... Uh, how sustainable and uh, what the upside is for some of these companies? Yeah, it definitely looks like it's uh, it, it will continue to move forward as far as that sustainability goes. 
there's been a bit of talk in the market and, and the media today around copper and how much copper is actually going to be needed by 2030 and 2050. You know, currently the production is 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 fairly decent around sort of 25 million mm -hmm. tons. They're looking to get, actually get up to 50 million tons by 2030. So there's going to have to be some new projects that are going to have to go online to actually make that uh, copper to keep up with that production. And that's where it's really tough because there hasn't been many new mines being opened. It's all about the ones that are in production at the moment. So we know BHP is doing a lot in copper. We've got Rio talking about uh, trying to get hold of, a, of an African asset. Uh, a company you like, I think, is, is Oz Minerals. Yeah, so Oz at the moment, obviously under takeover at the moment from BHP, mm. but our analyst thinks that they're going to have to pay up to $30 or at least 28 to $30, somewhere in that range to pick up something like an Oz Minerals, where the bid is around $25 at the moment. The market's obviously a little bit higher than that. There is potentially then to get a little bit extra out of the Oz Minerals share price at the moment, but uh, it's going to be a little bit tough. Then if you go down a little bit further, you've got something like a Sandfire. Uh, that's actually producing a fair bit of copper. They've just bought a new mine, which they've brought onto production, which is going to keep that mine life going. And then, you know, you, you get down to the smaller sort of explorer side of things. I've been looking at hot chili at the moment, HCH. It's uh, got a lot of land in South America, but that's actually starting to move as well. So I certainly think the copper stocks in our market are certainly needed for that metal expansion, for that uh, ESG or greening of the world. And it ties back well to Australia, who has got some actually some quite good copper uh, copper stocks on our market. I, I like that uh, hot chili name, but let's come back to Oz Minerals. I, I thought BHP had uh, rebuffed the, uh, uh, sorry, Oz Minerals had rebuffed the BHP sort of offer. Um, so what, what's your understanding of, of how that bid or how that indicative offer is proceeding at the moment? So you're absolutely right. They did say that that was undervaluing the company at $25. That gives BHP the opportunity to come back and say either we're going to take the deal off the table or what we suspect is that they'll up that bid to, we think, around $28 to $30, somewhere around there. That's what BHP will need to do to take over of Oz Minerals going forward. And remember, Oz Minerals sits very, very closely to all of the Olympic Dam and all of these beautiful assets that BHP has. So it's a natural fit for these guys to take them over and to move forward within that copper space. Another metal that uh, is sort of put in this, uh, I won't say new age metal, but it's sort of, you know, partly to do with the theme of uh, EVs. I want to come to lithium, but also boring old nickel. Uh, has had a bit of resurgence uh, and I gather there's a lot of nickel potentially uh, as the world changes in terms of the technology it uses and we've seen BHP talk about um, getting some of its old nickel um, mining back up to scratch again. What do you like in the, uh, in the nickel space? Yeah, so obviously BHP is obviously one of the larger producers there and certainly uh, their nickel mines, they've said to us that um, BHP, basically every ounce of nickel, every every gram of nickel that they produce has already been forward sold. So they're, they're, they're literally, uh, they're 100%, uh, their nickel mines are absolutely 100% sold mm. through or got those forward orders. So yeah, it really does look like uh, that that nickel side of things is going to move quite well. I, I, I think, you know, I, I'd stay with the majors on this one. Certainly something like a BHP for me, I think is is better. There's NIC, I think Nickel Mines Australia 
that's not a bad little one. Um, but you look, you know, we've got a lot of explorers out there. You know, you want to you want to stay with the quality, the guys with within production, and I think that's the space to stay. So for me, it would be a BHP to stay within that nickel exposure. And where does uh, South Thirty Two fit in your sort of thinking? Well, South Thirty Two we really like at the moment one because of its coal assets mm -hmm. that it has. Certainly, coal's been doing very very well over the last. Uh, three and will continue to do well as this energy crisis continues to stay or, or hit. Um, from there, South 32, yes, again, has some magnesium, has some other other mines as well. I really like South 32. It has been beaten down a little bit. The dividends was, was quite good. Um, and some of their assets, I think, are, are absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, we really like South 32. One, for that diversification of certainly those, those you know, nickel, uh, magnesium, mm -hmm. coal, those kinds of things, as well as then it, it does provide a fantastic dividend for shareholders as well. So South 32 does sit quite nicely in that space. Now I can't let you go without putting some comment in terms of the lithium stocks. Not quite as hot today, but uh, certainly that was the action last week. And a bit hard to see apart from, I guess one of the major brokers had a big call in, in terms of uh, some pretty bullish forecasts. But where do you see and what, what's your view and your house view in terms of some of the lithium stocks at the moment? We're, we're certainly firmly in the camp that lithium has still got a long way to go to the upside. Mm -hmm. uh, supply and demand is, is absolutely there and supply is going to get uh, outstripped by demand at the moment. I really like IGO. I think that's the, the right space to be. We've also got some mineral resources in there and we saw that rally pretty hard uh, the other day on, on the speculation that they might divest some of their lithium assets mm -hmm. into a new separately uh, separate vehicle. So yeah, I, I think IGO is, is the right space to be uh, within the lithium space. And we do know that lithium potentially will continue to move higher as uh, supply is, is getting harder and harder to find. And then demand is obviously out, absolutely outstripping that as well. So. I'm still comfortable in the in the lithium space. Things just can't go up in a straight line. Mm. So we, we are, it is good to see these little bit of pullbacks, these little things that will sort of come back and, and give us opportunities to get set for the next leg higher. But we, are, we, we think lithium is, is, is will or, and will continue of, you know, to go through the end of this year and forward because of that demand cycle. So I note that you like IGO, but with mineral resources, you're also getting iron ore. Is that a positive or negative uh, in terms of when you look at a company like um, Mineral Resources? Yeah, so you, you, you're obviously getting lithium, you're getting uh, iron ore, you're also getting mining services as mm -hmm. well. So all of those things, I think, sit quite nicely with us. We, we talk to clients about Mineral Resources being the old world and the new world. Uh, and, and that's the sort of thing that we're sort of talking to clients is you're getting the old world, which is the iron ore, and now that iron ore grade isn't as good as the BHP and the Rios, yeah. that's for sure. But certainly that lithium story is certainly moving forward in the right direction. And then you're getting some mining services in there as well. So, yeah, it's the old world and the new world coming together. But certainly lithium has been sort of outshining what's happening in mineral resources. And this tick up to sort of $70 plus has sort of outstripped, you know, this mineral resource has been trading in a bit of a sideways pattern from 45 to 60. And it's been a great trading story for us. We've been sort of getting in at sort of 45s, 44s, mm -hmm. getting out of 55, 60s, and then sort of doing it again and again. So it's been actually quite good. But this this next level up uh, really shows that, uh, that that lithium story 
is is probably playing out a little bit more than the iron ore story for mineral resources. And what about the uh, the two sort of I won't say the majors, but the two big current producers in uh, all chem and uh, and Pilbara Minerals? I know you said you prefer IGO. So where do you sort of rate IGO in comparison to uh, to those two? So all chem, yeah, definitely uh, the the merger between uh, Oracobra and uh, Galaxy Resources, and you know I think that that merger had to happen because in resources what we're seeing at the moment is either you go big or you go home. So yeah. in other words, you know, the bigger, the badder you are in the space, in the playing field. So Allchem is certainly one of those ones. I, I did some buying on that on Friday, down a little bit today, but I'm really comfortable with Allchem and I think that sits it sits nicely with me. IGO for us is, I think there's just a little bit more leverage yep. to to what the, to what's gonna happen in that lithium space. But yeah, Allchem, you know, certainly, you always stay with the, the the leader in the pack, and certainly Orchem, I think, is one of those leaders in that pack. And and Pilbara Minerals. Yeah, probably a little bit a little bit speculative for me. Uh, PLS has had a good run, like it really has yeah. had a good run. So I'd be it was down potentially to $2 taking in some June. money off the table. <laughs> yeah, I, I know, like it's crazy, absolutely crazy. So I'll probably be a little bit sort of taking a little bit money here and, and, and just reducing your exposure. It's had such a good run and, and, you know, parabolic run, you know, sort of just like Australian interest rates at the moment, it just keeps going up and up. So um, I, I think overall, I'd, I'd be a little bit careful on PLS. It does have that Western Australian side of things all taken care of, but, you know, for a trade, I think you'd, you'd sort of be a little bit careful Fundamentally, I, I do prefer uh, AKE or IGO as a, as a better play for the longer term. And in terms of uh, metals, finally, Adam, I mean, we know that the US dollar, all the metals are quoted in US dollars. So when the US dollar weakens, metal prices tend to go up and vice versa. We've seen enormous strength in the US dollar, a little bit of a pullback last week. I mean, you have to keep a pretty wary eye in, on, the, on the US dollar when you're investing in, uh, in metal producers such as we've been, we've been talking about. Yeah, I, you're right, you do. And, and certainly uh, it, it does affect that overall uh, swing of, of how the commodity is going to go. Because first of all, if you're going to invest in any commodity, you've got to look at the actual underlying commodity price mm -hmm. and where that's going and then obviously how that gets affected. But, you know, I think overall the US dollar has been fairly steady across the board um, and it is pegged, uh, you know, so that it, it, it's not going to go too crazy. So yes, I think it's a part of our overall investment thesis, but it's not the major overriding thesis going forward. So for me, it's really about the fundamentals of the company and where the where the commodity price is going. So both of those, obviously in the lithium space, have have done well. Copper is continuing to do well also. But you're right, it is something that you should definitely take into consideration when you are looking at some of the commodities that, especially the global commodities that were traded on our uh, market at the moment. But the underlying drivers, for example, uh, a whole change in technology, that's what's driving lithium, it's what's driving potentially nickel and, and copper as well. Is that right? Yeah, correct. I mean, that, that that's a huge drive. And then, you know, becoming uh, carbon neutral at 2050 mm -hmm. or even 2030, yeah, uh, it, it's going to be a long stretch for us to get those targets and commodities sit in the front seat because they are needed to build the solar panels, to build the wind farms, to build all of these things so that we can be net zero by 2030 and 2050. So it's an amazing opportunity for investors at the moment to get access to these things 
for, for, for that long-term profitability going forward. Well, Adam, thanks for joining us on Switzerland. Some great insights as always. Thanks. Have a great day. Well, reporting season's done and dusted. We've seen a good bounce in the Australian share market following uh, a, a healthy lead out of the USA. Uh, to uh, talk about his take on reporting season plus the outlook for the market, I'm joined by Ron Shamgar. He's the head of Australian equities at Tanner Asset Management. Ron, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me back. Let's uh, reporting season. Let's just give you a take on reporting season and perhaps uh, what were some of the themes and what you learned out of it. Yeah, sure. Look, um, we thought that uh, reporting season um, across the board was was broadly sort of in line with consensus estimates. Uh, so it, it was an okay uh, season. The main takeaways for us was that the Australian economy uh, is quite healthy uh, for now, and uh, we've, we're seeing uh, sort of very strong trends in con in consumption, uh, you know, remaining. So that that's very positive. Um, you know, I think the biggest cause of earnings misses uh, during reporting season was rising costs. Mm -hmm. So we don't have an issue of revenue growth. Um, it's more about uh, a cost issue for companies that missed uh, guidance. Um, you know, we still saw COVID and labor shortages uh, impacting businesses, but we're seeing that gradually improving. And we think by second half FY23, uh, we, you know, those kind of issues will be in the review mirror. Uh, supply chain delays was another issue. And we saw a lot of companies building up inventories mm -hmm. uh, to deal with any supply chain disruptions. And that obviously impacted some of their working capital and cash flows as well. And finally, um, we think that corporate balance sheets are the strongest they've been in, in decades. And uh, we've seen what we believe are record number of buybacks uh, announced by companies. And we think that's a really uh, positive indicator. Um, you know, if you look at the market in general, uh, it's trading on about a PE multiple of about 14 times. Uh, it's sort of the long-term average. We don't think that's expensive. And we believe that as we sort of go into calendar year 2023, uh, we think that you know inflation will come down, and I think the markets will be quite strong. And we're quite bullish uh, on the calendar year 2023 for equity markets. And over the uh, course of at least uh, this year, we've seen that the um, most of the action has been in the in the big caps. Small caps have uh, have underperformed. Does that mean, given your sort of scenario, there's a you see more value in the in in the smaller and middle part of the market? Yeah, definitely. We, we think small caps are a lot more undervalued than the than larger caps at the moment. Uh, you know, I think um, you know, I think they obviously uh, underperform more in, in times like this, but they'll definitely outperform when markets and sentiment changes. And so we expect next year will be a really good year for for small caps. And obviously, because they they do tend to get impacted more with the, when it comes to uh, cost increases and so on. So I think they'll they'll do quite well next year. Okay. Maybe we can ask you a couple of questions on a couple of payments companies. Tyro's in the news, but uh, yeah, well, let's talk about uh, both SmartPay and EML. Let's, EML, again, has had a pretty tough, uh, tough run, but it's had a little bit of a bounce. What's your take on uh, EML payments at the moment? Yeah, sure. So look, this is a stock that we've owned for, for many years, and we've actually done quite well on it over the years that we managed to, to 
buy quite low and, and take profits. Um, look, the, the results were messy. Um, so, you know, everyone was expecting that. Um, for us, um, you know, when we invest in a business, obviously uh, the fundamentals of the business are really important, but we like to back uh, management teams. Mm -hmm. And when it came to EML over the years, we backed the managing director, Tom Cregan. Uh, he obviously uh, moved on, resigned uh, before the August results. And we believe that the new CEO, which used to be a director, uh, and the current board are not really acting in the best interest of shareholders. And so we no longer can support, uh, you know, the business and the current board. You know, th this company received uh, two takeover offers uh, only two, three months ago, mm. and they didn't disclose it to the market. These offers were in excess of $2 a share. Now, we've seen other companies receive bids like Nitro Software and Tyro recently. And it's okay if the board rejects it, but at least they disclosed uh, the bid to the market and let the market uh, forces decide. So. We think that the board is not acting in the best interest of shareholders. And so that's the reason why we sold. In saying that, uh, they do have quite significant tailwinds at the moment in terms of rising interest rates. Mm -hmm. They currently hold a, a float in excess of $2 billion. The majority of that is in Europe and in the UK. And we've seen the, the ECB in Europe raise rates last week by 75 bips. That's an incremental $6 million straight to the bottom line of VML. We expect the Bank of England to raise rates tonight. The ECB will go again next month. And it's also happening around the world. So I think that what's happened is post the August results, consensus numbers for FY23 have come down materially for EML. But now because of these rising interest rates, they may actually exceed what the market thinks they'll do. We'll know at the AGM when they give guidance, but I think that it's a bit of a tailwind and that's why the stock is up 20% uh, in the last uh, three days. And we could see it keep going higher, uh, you know, if these interest rate rises continue. So that's something that to watch out for if anyone holds the stock. So I wouldn't necessarily sell it uh, at the moment, but for us, we have different reasons to sell. Let's go to another one, which is SmartPay. I don't think it has those same sort of tailwinds, but it's a stock that's sort of big on your radar. Is that right? Yeah, look, we, we like SmartPay. Um, it's a, you know, sort of an FPOS payments terminal provider in Australia and New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, they, what we believe is a mini version of Tyro. Um, you know, they operate in a, in a sector where just in that sort of small business end of the market, there's about 250,000 sort of uh, businesses or terminals up for grabs, dominated mm -hmm. by the big banks. Uh, SmartPay has got about 10,000 in Australia and, you know, if you compare it to Tyro, maybe they've got, I think, I can't remember, 70, 80,000. Uh, they're growing quite fast. They're profitable. They're trading on about an EV EBITDA of about nine times. They don't have any debt. We saw last week Tyro receive a takeover bid um, from private equity, which valued them on approximately 25 times uh, EBITDA multiple from what we worked out. Uh, and so we think that, um, you know, SmartPay, you know, potentially a takeover target as well. It does have a New Zealand business, which has about 20% market mm -hmm. share in New Zealand. Now, it's a little bit of a different model to Australia. They receive monthly rental fees in New Zealand. In Australia, they clip the ticket on transactions. Uh, that New Zealand business got a takeover bid just before COVID. And obviously that fell through because of COVID. But we think that could, uh, that sort of a, a renewed bid could emerge. Uh, again, and then the Australian business just keeps growing. 
we think they can go from 10,000 to 25,000 terminals in the next two, three years uh, quite easily. Uh, you know, and that will only be 10% of the current sort of uh, uh, segment of the market that they're targeting. Um, and again, they're quite a, they're, they're actually a big beneficiary of inflationary pressures because, um, you know, as uh, prices rise, uh, you know, yeah. transaction values essentially go up. And because they clip a small percentage of each transaction, uh, they just make more money uh, if, if we have inflation. So uh, we think uh, uh, it's cheap and also it's reached that inflection point where they're starting to generate some really good free cash flow as well. So uh, I, I think it's an interesting one to, to look at in, uh, in light of this Tyro takeover bid. Okay, so that's smart pay. Let's move on to uh, a company called DGL. Yeah, sure. So this is a company that listed, I think, about a year and a half ago. So the market might not be as familiar with it. Uh, they provide chemical logistics, uh, formulation and warehousing in Australia and New Zealand. Now, this is a founder-led business, which we like. The managing director uh, owns about 55% of the company. Uh, I would say it's a little bit quirky character. And I, they often I'd much are, rather aren't they? <laughs> if he doesn't. <laughs> and I'd much rather prefer if he doesn't give interviews to the media because uh, he got caught on a few uh, issues there. But otherwise, he's, he's building a really uh, impressive business. Um, mm -hmm. They um, essentially, they're quite acquisitive and they're building out sort of a national uh, presence and footprint to service uh, larger clients uh, in terms of their chemical needs. Um, they've got a significant competitive moat around their business, you know, with various licenses to process all these chemicals. And they built up a, a property asset base that in excess of $150 million, uh, which they own. So uh, we think that's quite valuable. They had a really strong FY22. Their revenue yep. was up 88% uh, to $370 million. Their EBITDA was up 133% to $66 million. Now in saying all of that, the stock got smashed by 45%. <laughs> Uh, in two days following the results. So, you know, you might ask why. So there's three reasons uh, why. So first of all, the guidance which they're given for FY23 uh, was, I think, confusing and uh, conservative, but it was it was below the market's mm -hmm. expectations. Uh, the cash flows were weak, but that was due to inventory build, which I'll explain why. Uh, and also we think there's a bit of a lack of understanding by investors of the industry that DGL operates in and the type of sort of tailwinds, headwinds that are happening in it because it's a, what I would say, like there's no other comparable business uh, listed as well. So basically what's happening is that, uh, as we all know, there's an energy crisis happening in Europe at the moment. And, you know, energy bills are, are mm. getting out of controls and it's impacting the supply chain of, of certain chemicals that are imported from Europe. Um, a lot of these manufacturers uh, are basically shutting down. They just can't afford to anymore. Now, we think that uh, the, the managing director has the sort of foresight uh, to have saw that and he's built his inventory in anticipation of having sort of uh, uh, supply chain delays and shortages in certain uh, inputs which they need to service their customers. Now, we think that DGL will benefit because competitors won't be able to service yeah. uh, clients and DGL potentially may even have pricing power. Now, obviously, time will tell whether, uh, you know, the market was right or, or he's right. Um, so we took the opportunity after the stock got smashed to double our position. Uh, it's one of our top three holdings at the moment. And actually, it was good to see that the managing director 
was actually buying shares as well at the same time as us. So, you know, he doesn't need to buy shares. He owns a lot of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's good to see him buying. And we think FY23 will be another good year. We think the stock is worth $3. Okay, well, that's a company called uh, DGL. And finally, uh, People In, which is uh, an HR, or I guess, recruitment company, if that's right. Tell me about uh, uh, People In. Yeah, sure. So that was probably our best performer um, this reporting season. Um, it's a recruitment services business, um, had a really strong result mm -hmm. uh, ahead of market uh, expectations. Uh, the revenue was up 54% to $682 million. EBITDA was up 24% to $47 million. Uh, again, that was ahead of they're good, they're good numbers. Um, yeah, really good yeah. numbers. And they've got really favorable operating conditions at the moment. You know, the strength of the employment market is playing into their hands. And there's a strong demand from clients for staff in defensive sectors, which uh, people in operating like healthcare, agricultural, warehousing, uh, they also have accounting, IT mm -hmm. and so on. So, um, you know, that that's all really good. Now they gave guidance for FY23, which again was really strong, uh, about $65 million EBITDA. So another strong year of growth. Um, wage inflation, which we're seeing, is actually really positive for this business because they, they clip a margin, again, on, on the salaries of the staff which they place into companies. So if that wage is higher, People in just makes more money. It's as simple as that. And then obviously you uh, seem the to, government um, is trying to encourage. You seem to like companies that uh, clip the ticket and the ticket goes up <laughs> all the time. So uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, look, we, we, we like those kind of businesses. Um, and, and in this kind of environment, it's, it's a positive. So yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and, and like I said, the, the government, you know, we've got uh, labor shortages in Australia. The government is really trying to encourage immigration of skilled labor. And with the borders reopen, I think uh, they'll benefit as well from that. Now, it's only trading on about nine times uh, PE multiple for FY23, uh, maybe four and a half percent fully frank dividend yield. And it's got a seven year track record of earnings and dividends growth. I think it's something like 25 percent compounded per annum for the last seven years. So really great business track record, the right time, the right industry. Uh, we think it's worth five bucks uh, any day. Well, Ron, thanks for sharing those uh, insight on three. Not so much small caps, but companies that give you a mark for growth in uh, smart pay, DGL, and uh, people in. That was Ron Shamgar. He's the head of Australian equities at uh, Tamman Asset Management. That's tonight's show. Don't forget, you can read more about our insights at switzerreport.com.au. Happy investing. I'll see you on Thursday.